Well, you know there, and welcome to the rewrap uh, for Tuesday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking breakfast in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB, and this morning um, it seems like the way to be popular is to lead a country through a crisis. Doesn't really matter whether you do a good job or not. Uh, the uh, shadow cabinet has been announced by uh, Todd Muller, uh, so we'll look at, look hard at that, especially at the agriculture minister, and then we're off to Hamna in the nude. Yes, yes, I said it. Uh, but before any of that, um, why aren't we in level one yet? So the calls are growing. Of course, the same question being asked, why aren't we at level one yet? Why, yet again, is the government holding this level of control and restriction over us? Are they doing it because it suits their purposes? There is no economic recovery with government handing out other people's money. Yesterday's unemployment bonus we've just been talking about, $490 a week tax-free for 12 weeks. That's welcome. Of course it's welcome. It'll help. But it's not a recovery. It's a band-aid. What the government has done well so far, by their SME loan scheme, has been useful. Research coming in from all over the world indicates that emergency money, no matter what form it arrived in, does in fact help. But it doesn't last. And it can't last because it's all borrowed and it's not earned. And unless you've forgotten Economics 101, money has to be earned. You need to be doing something to successfully and sustainably bring it through the door. And increasing evidence shows that Level 2 isn't it. Level 2 is doors open and a lot of distancing and a lot of faffing and a lot of tracing and apps and addresses and hassle. And it's against an increasingly absurd background of numbers that tell us the virus is essentially over. If you want to take the Prime Minister's hyper-cautious line, we could be here forever. And the longer this goes, the more suspicious you've got to become. As a socialist exercise in control, rule-making and finger-wagging, this has been a control freak's nirvana. And I'm convinced those who argue they don't want to return to normality are now not actually afraid of the virus, because there isn't one. They've either been brainwashed or because they're supported artificially by the state, they're lazy. Michael Baker about as conservative a health obsessive as you could get, says he'd jump on a plane tomorrow to Australia. So why aren't we? And no, I wouldn't open all the borders at once, obviously. And no, I wouldn't put on a concert for 30,000 people at the moment. But apart from that, this country should have every door open, every business operating normally, a massive campaign to reassure people things are fine and to get out and get on with it. And the reason we aren't looks increasingly suspicious. Just how close to the election day are they going to try and stretch this thing out. How long does this fear come caution campaign roll on, eh? And as a result, just how many jobs get lost and businesses go to the wall because of it? It wouldn't bother me personally quite so much, except it's the terrible inconsistencies that are out there. Um, I went to Bunnings yesterday, and the, um, the efforts that they've gone to to maintain proper social distancing and still doing their click and collect and you drive into a specific bay if you want to and you know in one door out the other and then you know you'll go to another shop or we'll stroll in stroll out no worries and nobody seems to be policing it or it's that's what's an, a, annoying uh, you do one thing or the other but not everything all at once in spite of all this of course uh, Jacinda, super popular, as is everybody, even Boris. Interesting piece of insight. It's in the Herald if you want to read it. People turn to leaders, any leaders, when they're rattled by a pandemic. And this explains a lot, and we've been trying to explain it for the last uh, several weeks on the program. How to maintain support as they oversee tanking economies, stifling restrictions and staggering death tolls. How do leaders do that? What they do uh, is basically they become a powerful force on the side of the people. It's human psychology. People remain deeply worried about the virus and its toll and support for the leaders increasing almost universally. And the best examples we've given you, Britain and Germany, are steep 
and nearly identical boosts in support. Now, Germany, done a good job. Angela Merkel, absolutely fantastic, has a scientific background, followed the scientists, has done a good job, out the other side, very popular. Boris, complete shambles, hasn't got a clue, and yet as popular as Angela Merkel. How's that possible? There's no logical explanation other than people are scared. If you scare people into submission, they will follow you forever. Body of research, in fact, shows in a crisis, placing faith in a stronger leader can serve psychological needs whose importance to us can outweigh our desire, even for physical safety. In other words, we're brainwashed. And then all the people are going, I'm not going out. Why aren't you going out? There's no possible reason not to go out. There's no virus left in the country. But you don't want to go out. Why? Because you're scared and you've been told to be scared and you've been told to be frightened and you've been told to worry. And you've been told, I suspect Ashley's going to tell us the same thing after 7 o'clock this morning, after 7.30 this morning, that there's still a pandemic out there. Ooh, so you better stay at home just a little bit longer, maybe until the latter part of September. Or maybe I'm being facetious. Yeah, as a plan, though, it comes a little bit unstuck come election day if everybody's too scared to leave the house because there's that whole voting thing they'll be wanting people to do then. Uh, and uh, now we know uh, who the shadow cabinet is, uh, we'll be voting for them. Amy Adams is a twofold success. One, because of all the retirees, she was far and away the most competent. And two, the fact she was clearly retiring because she decided they were all toast under bridges means she, in her heart of hearts, thinks they have a chance under Miller. Goldsmith retaining finance, no-brainer. He and Chris Bishop have been standout performers for the past two years. Mark Mitchell retains justice and defence. In recognition, Mitchell is a talent, and even though a bridges man, you don't burn talent for the sake of it. Woodhouse and health is almost as one-sided as Collins v Twyford, given Woodhouse has mountain biker David Clark to tangle with, which is the other part of the overall equation that Muller highlighted last week. Labour have a couple of solid operators. They are Adurn, Robertson and Parker. Beyond that, the pool is shallow, if not shallow and dangerous. They are ripe for the picking. At least part, if not a major part, of Labour's success right now is directly a result of virtually none of them having been seen for two months. You've seen Adurn and Robertson. Uh, Given health is now behind us. Economics is front and centre. We are now playing into one national strengths and two Labour's weaknesses and three forcing the Labour lack of talent back into the cold hard glare of an election campaign. We don't know yet if Muller has any magic as he goes head to head with the Dern, but this lineup shows at least he's got a plan, he's thought about it, it makes sense, so clearly he's a strategist. The only other question left is, is the phone off the hook? In other words, are New Zealanders receptive to an election campaign? Are they open to detail and debate or have they been so scared into a shell no one's coming up or out for light until well after September. Is that three segments in a row that have basically finished with Hosking talking about September? Anybody would think it's an election year. Um, now, uh, well, yeah, so one of the people in that shadow cabinet uh, is a bloke called David Bennett. And this morning we were thinking to ourselves, now, David Bennett, David Bennett, where have we heard that name before? Good morning, Mike. Could you please ask Todd Muller, who's with us after eight, why after being told that agriculture is one uh, is the one to help dig us out of this economic crisis, that we are represented by an MP ranked 16 and with a relatively unknown profile? Surely we could expect to be represented by someone with a real voice on the new shadow cabinet. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, the new agriculture spokesperson is, of course, David Bennett. And David Bennett, as far as I know, is internationally famous uh, because he gave this advice. You should be out there panic buying. He should be out there panic buying. Remember David Bennett of Hamilton? He went on the radio and he said at the very beginning of this, what you need to do is, he said he'd go you panic buying. You should be out there panic buying. You should be out there panic buying. But then, unfortunately, he said 
Well, I didn't say to panic buy. He didn't say panic buying, so uh, there was some confusion, but I'm pretty sure he said... You should be out there panic buying. Yeah, you should be out there panic buying. This is David Bennett. Surely we all remember David Bennett of Hamilton, the new agriculture spokesperson. Now, are you supposed to be panic buying or not? Well, I didn't say to panic buying. Oh, you didn't you say panic You should be out there. Oh, you should be out there. Well, I didn't say to panic buying. You should be out there. Anyway, it's David Bennett, the agriculture spokesperson, for God's sake, for the National Party. What's not to know? Yeah, basically, just make sure you don't say anything stupid on uh, the Mike Hosking breakfast ever, because we will just keep playing it back and playing it back and playing it back and playing it back. I mean, I play back stupid things that Mike said all the time. Um, I've never said anything stupid, so uh, no worries there. Um, yes, 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 that was a joke. What's wrong with you people? Why don't you know that anything that I say is a joke? I'm not just talking about some of the things, everything. Um, like here. I mean, having been to Hamner a million times myself from Christchurch, it's, 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 a, it's a great trip. And for people in the North Island, who have never been, it surely is one of the most beautiful parts of, A, the South Island, if not the country, isn't it? I mean, it's a spectacular part of the world. Oh, it's a beautiful part of the world, and, and we're going to be doing some work later this year to um, convince our friends in, in the North Island to, to come and pay yeah. us a visit around Christmas time. Good on you, mate. Good luck with that. Graham Abbott, who's the General Manager of Hamner Springs Thermal Pools and Spa. If you've never been, you've got to go. Personally, the spacing suits me in the hot pools. I mean, you don't want to be, you know, two inches away from some fat bloke. Yeah, the pool next to you, do you? You don't want to look to the left. Why do you have to talk about me like that? Well, you know, I'm just thinking of you. I suddenly, there's your shot of Glenn next to me naked in the pool. I'm thinking, oh. So if you were halfway down the other end of the pool. I mean, you're naked too. (laughs) But I'm more comfortable with my nakedness than yours. uh, For fairly obvious reasons. Then we literally had somebody email or text in to say that you're not allowed to swim nude at Hamner anymore. I mean, were they also joking? I really hope they were, but I don't think they were. I'm Glenn ZB. Uh, that was the rewrap. We'll be back here again tomorrow. I'll say more stupid stuff. People will think that I'm serious. <sighs> I'll see you then.